18 to 24 year olds make up almost 10% of the American population, but in the 2018 midterm elections, they made up only 6% of voters. Our generation wants progressive change, but only we can make it happen. We are the future. We are the next generation of voters. I'm Aiden Cohen Murphy, and this is the Next Generation Politics Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Next Generation Politics Podcast. Today is our June 7th News Blast. Um, A lot of news this week. So today we are going to be talking about Kanye West announcing his candidacy for the 2020 presidential election, which is somehow real. Um, The D.C. football team launching a formal review to change their their, team's name. Trump's divisive July 4th speech. The U.S. Supreme Court's decision to punish faithless, faithless electors, Mark Zuckerberg's house in Hawaii, and Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend, or wife, girlfriend, I think, um, she tested positive for the coronavirus. So, without further ado, let's get into the news. So, first up, on Saturday, Kanye West announced his candidacy for President of the United States on Twitter. On Twitter, His tweet said, quote, we must, re- we must now realize the promise of America by trusting God, unifying our country, and building our future. I'm running for President of the United States. Hashtag 2020 vision. Given his history and his, and his previous support for Trump, many are questioning Kanye's decision. But whether this is actually a well-thought-out decision um, or a plan, a well-thought-out plan, to draw black voters away from Biden or simply just a publicity stunt. Um, We don't know. Only time will tell. But announcing that you're running for president on Twitter doesn't do nearly enough to make that actually official. Um, So we're only four months away from Election Day, and in six states, it's already too late for Kanye to appear on the ballot as an independent, and it doesn't even seem like he's registered with the FEC or the Federal Election Commission either. At this point, it's highly unlikely that Kanye will gain any significant traction in the campaign before November, but as young people, it is crucial that we understand that, that these elections are not jokes, and it is certainly not the time for publicity stunt. While many of us may be privileged enough to not really have our lives impacted too greatly by elections, that's not the case for everyone. People's rights, livelihoods, and well-beings depend on decisions made by our president, um, their cabinet, and their appointees. So if things work out in Kanye's favor, and if he raises the necessary funds, and if he gets the necessary signatures... Um, you will see that your uh, you might see your favorite rapper's name on the ballot in your state. Um, explain to your voting age friends, siblings, and peers what is what is exactly at stake in this election. We all know what happened when a failed businessman and reality TV star ran for president. So let's not make the same mistake again. Okay. Moving on, the DC football team, um, a team with a with an incredibly racist and stereotypical branding, announced on Friday their decision to review the team's name. Um, I'm a lifelong DC resident. I I think when I was younger, I used to go to um to DC football team games, and then we we as a kind of a city realized how terrible the owner of um of the DC football team is, Dan Snyder. And so we kind of I mean I think a lot of a lot of DC people boycotted. Like they're not as much of a DC team as say the Capitals or the Nats or the Wizards are. Um, they 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 they, they don't even um the stadiums in like like 45 minutes out of DC. Um, and so I stopped saying the team's name in like 2015 just because it's so disgusting. And if you don't know the name I'm talking about, 
I mean, I think you probably do, but if you don't, just look up the DC football team. Um, so, uh, on Friday, the DC baseball team had stated that they would review the team name and consider a change. Um, the team has been met with not only protest, sorry, the team has been met with protest not only from DC residents, um, but Americans across the nations who find their stereotypical branding incredibly racist and offensive, because it is. Um, the team's name has been considered a slur by indigenous people for a long time now. And it should be made clear that the decision to review the name is not coming from, like, the good in the hearts of the owners, however. Um, so Dan Snyder, the owner of the team, staunchly supported the name in the past and has shown no interest in changing the name. This is, the sudden change of heart is most likely a result of several corporate sponsors beginning to back away from the team, stating that the offensive... Um, stating that the offensive name was part of the reason why they why they backed away. Hopefully, this will result in a name change because indigenous people are not mascots. So I think some some names, some ideas for new names that I saw on Twitter were like um, the Red Hawks, the Red Tails, which I think pays tribute to, this, to the Tuskegee Airmen, um, the Warriors. There are a lot of pretty great, pretty great names, um, alternative names that aren't racial slurs. Um, and I would implore you to, to look some of them up and see what you think. There have been some amazing, like, designs for different logos. Okay, moving on to Trump's July 4th speech. So Trump's um, poor track record with Native Americans was exacerbated by his presence at Mount Rushmore on Friday, along um, which is where he gave his, devices, his divisive 4th of July speech. So for some background... The idea to, to, to make um, to create Mount Rushmore was conceived by a South Dakota historian who was ultimately looking to bolster tourism to the area and figured out and figured that massive busts of our most famous leaders would get the job done. Um, Robinson, who is the who is the historian, enlisted the help of an American sculptor by the name of Gutzban Borglum. Borglum was not only the sculptor was not the only sculptor to work on the project, but he actually he did spearhead it. Um, it was never confirmed that Borglum joined the KKK, but it's pretty well documented that the artist did have significant ties with the group, specifically following his work of a bust of, uh, of Confederate commander Robert E. Lee on Stone Mountain in Georgia. Unfortunately, the pieces of, um, the divisive pieces of Rushmore's history do get worse, but are we really surprised? So the Black Hills, which is the name of the mountain on which the on which the monument was sculpted, is incredibly sacred, sacred to the to the Lakota Sioux tribe, who occupied the area long before South Dakota was an American state. Um, this was just adding insult to injury because decades prior, the Black Hill Mountains had been promised to the Sioux and then stripped from them soon after. So we can break down the reprehensible history of Mount Rushmore and the Sioux into a few bullet points. The land was sacred to a tribe that had lived on the land for centuries. The sacred land was promised to them even after the settling of um, of the white men, but was soon ripped away from them after the discovery of gold on the hill. The Black Hills was then selected to house a massive monument of white leaders that were responsible for the hardships that indigenous people faced on the land and was carved by a man associated with the most racist, hateful group in America. As far as I'm concerned, and as far as my writers are concerned, this gives natives and members of the Sioux tribe every right to be pissed about Trump's appearance at the site, given that his policies have often hurt or completely ignored native people across the nation, um, and his history with harmful rhetoric towards those communities. And um, a, lot of indigenous a lot of indigenous people were angry. They showed up to protest the president's, the president's appearance at Mount Rushmore um, and refused to, to disband when they were met with the National Guard. Despite the immense protest and fragile social climate, Trump did not hesitate 
to give an incredibly divisive speech at Mount Rushmore, because that's what he does. He played heavily into the current civil unrest and division amongst Americans, saying that the fight to win a second term is to save all American people from what he calls, quote, the, the new far-left fascism. But, like, no. Trump inspires fascism. He's not fighting fascism, which I don't think is that hard to, that hard to realize. Um... But fanning, while fanning the flames of our current culture war, the president also failed to mention the recent yet unsurprising struggle that many states are having um, with them to distract people um, from his failed leadership during the crisis. Overall, a pretty terrible look for Trump. Next, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously ruled on Monday that states can punish faithless electoral electors who are members of the Electoral College who refuse to support the candidate who won the state, who won statewide. Um, and presidential ballot balloting. So a little bit of background about faith, faithless electors. They're actually not that uncommon. In 2016, there were a total of seven faithless electors. Um, there was one from Hawaii who voted for Bernie Sanders. There was two from Texas who who were supposed to vote for Trump and Pence, Who one of whom voted for Case, John Kasich, one of whom voted for Ron Paul, um, and four, sorry, three electors from Washington voted for Colin Powell, sorry, Colin Powell um, from Virginia, who's a Republican, rather than voting for Clinton Kane, and one voted for face-spotted Eagle, who's a Democrat from um, South Dakota. That's also in Washington. Um, three faithless electors there had their ballots invalidated. And it's pretty terrible that if, like, if you're an elector in the Electoral College, you can literally vote for whoever you want in most states. Um, but not really anymore, because justice, again, the so unanimous Supreme Court ruling, just, Justice Sonia Sotomayor stated that this decision would ensure that electors would be unable to reverse the votes of its citizens, which is a good step forward for democracy. Um, this is an extremely rare display of bipartisanship. It is also an important step forward in making sure that in the upcoming election, um, we can ensure democracy as much as we can. Fears of foreign interference and voter suppression are on the minds of many Americans as November 3rd looms closer. So as more and more Americans support abolishing the Electoral College, and while this decision does not um, come close to fulfilling our, fulfilling our dream, it does reinforce what many Americans know, every that their votes should matter. Next up, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, so Mark Zuckerberg's house in Hawaii. So Mark Zuckerberg has purchased several parcels, parcels of land on the Hawaiian island of Kauai to build his 11th home. These purchases took over... Um, th these purchases took place over the course of several years before 2014 and 2017. And the amount of land he owns is approved for 80 homes. He will, um, of course, he will just have one home. This is slated to be his 11th property, but he's known to deeply value his privacy. Part of his sprawling domain was originally purchased by a native Hawaiian man in the 1800s whose descendants were willed, were willed pieces of the territory. Zuckerberg is suing about 300 of his um, descendants, and he went so far as to hire genealogical researchers to find out who owned the land. The legal maneuver that he is using here is called quiet title and partition. What this means is that owners of the undeveloped land must relinquish their rights um, to an undeveloped parcel of land to the highest bidder. In this case, Zuckerberg is the highest bidder, and he's also one of the richest people on the planet um, with, I think, like $40 billion. Um... The reason that all of this is so insane, the reason why this is so insane um, is that these historic lands claims are undocumented, meaning that the transfers of ownership 
are often very messy. So additionally, when wealthy people sue natives to build a vacation home, people get understandably angry. Mark's actions have been likened to modern-day colonization, which instead of physically plaguing natives, um, Mark will outmaneuver them with the law. There's a petition to, quoting, to stop this quote-unquote colonization that is over half a million signatures that is linked in the description. Um, next up, Kim, Kim Guilfoyle, who you might recognize as Gavin Newsom, the governor of California's ex-wife, and Donald Trump Jr.'s current girlfriend. Um, and so she tested positive for, the, positive for the coronavirus, and a few a few aides of the vice president, Mike Pence, also tested positive. So um, the person, one of the people that that worked with Pence that tested positive was not in close contact with Pence himself, um, but there is still is still of course ongoing contact tracing with the with within the office. Um, so this brings up the question: What would happen if Pence died? And of course, it's very very unlikely that he even has the coronavirus, but it still caused uh, a query on social media. Um, so if Mike were to die, there um, when there's a vice presidential when there's no vice president, um, the president nominates someone to fill the void. So, and if theory, Pence were to die, Trump may choose choose to nominate someone from his cabinet or someone else who he desires. It was rumored that Trump wanted to tap Newt Gingrich as VP in 2016, um, but he connected with Pence on accident and liked him. Of course, again, it is incredibly unlikely, but and I'm not not rooting for his death in any way, but just interesting. Another person within Trump's inner circle, Kimber Kimberly Guilfoyle. Has tested positive. She is currently dating John Jr. and is getting a pretty huge sum from the campaign for undisclosed work. So who knows what that means? Um, she is she's the top Trump campaign official. She works. She's the chairman of Trump's campaign finance committee, um, and his campaign has seen an increase in donations under her tenure. In recent days, Kimberly has been meeting with many bigger donors, and at recent events, she was seen unmasked because masks are a political issue now she is not in physical contact with other people at the moment and she is supposedly fully quarantining but who knows and that's all the news for the week i want to thank my director sydney gift my producer ari Cohn, my pa caleb murphy my writers daniel wilk and audrey taylor my editor sarah villa and the huge group of supporters that it took to make this podcast possible um, we are 119 days from Election Day. I'm Aiden Cohn-Murphy, and this was the Next Generation Politics Podcast. Mm -hmm.